Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to change the world? Okay, that's a big one. Let's take a step back. How about your state? Still too big? All right. How about your community? Now, if you're a clinician listening, by this point, you should be saying yes. Right? Maybe maybe you have more of a globalist perspective that you want to help the world. Maybe it's a little bit more local. You want to help in your community. Either way is fine, but how do you go about that? That's, that's a big, big thought. It takes a lot of work. takes a lot of commitment. Where do you even start? Ask clinicians. Let's say maybe physical therapists. Obviously, that starts with your patients that are in your community coming in, helping them feel better from whatever they're having to deal with low back pain, headaches, neck pain, whatever it is, but that's reactive. They are reacting to an issue and you're helping with that. So how how can you help before that reaction happens? How can you be proactive? How can we help people before needing to step in and react to their issues? How can we help by preventing the issues from happening in the first place? How can we expand our reach and scale that beyond one-on-one, maybe to companies, corporations, employees? How can we go at them versus waiting for them to come at us? Well, that's one of the big conversations we had on this podcast with Jeff Moore and Mike Eisenhart and their thoughts on it and, and what they're doing about it and how they are getting the people that are capable of pushing this forward together in one place and giving them the tools to actually make this happen, make it a reality versus a concept versus a thought versus an ideology. This is beyond just being altruistic. This is about being actionable. This is about going to the people and helping them be proactive with their health, giving them the understanding, the knowledge, the tool set, and the capacity to live healthy lives. That's what this conversation is. I hope you enjoy it. I'd be surprised if you don't. There's a ton of nuggets about how to actually do this. Beyond of, hey, let's do this. This sounds great. This is about action. This is about how to do what we're talking about. Let's jump into it with Jeff Moore and Mike Eisenhart on this episode of Therapy Insiders Podcast from UpDoc Media. Therapy Insiders Podcast is brought to you by Web PT. Now look, aside from being the best EMR in the industry, Web PT is part of the community. What I mean by this, go on their website, webpt.com, read the blogs, read the content, check out the data about the physical therapy industry. Web PT provides so much content and so much information because they are genuinely interested in helping push the profession forward. Even if you don't need an EMR, which most of you do, even if you don't need software, which most of you do, check out webpt.com for the business content, for the advice, for the guidance, and for the data that WebPT has collected over the years that show the trends in our profession to help your business and help your understanding of the profession as a whole, where we're headed, where we've been, and how to improve. Again, check out webpt.com. If you need an EMR, definitely schedule a free trial. If you're not there, check out the content. Well worth it. And now let's get into Therapy Insiders podcast with Jeff Moore and Mike Eisenhart. Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Dr. Gene Shirakabrad here. Big episode for everyone um, in, in a lot of ways with the guests, also in scope. Uh, we're going to 
we're really going to talk about an important topic of, of changing the world. And yes, I know that sounds like a broad thing and, and maybe a little bit altruistic, which might not sound necessarily like me, um, but I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. And, and, and I believe in the people driving the effort, which is the biggest thing. Um, I remember an investor once told me that you invest in the jockey, not the horse. And uh, I'm investing in these jockeys. And the jockeys are Dr. Jeff Moore, Dr. Mike Eisenhart. And I'm sure you've heard the names before. You've seen the beards. You've seen the passion. You've heard the talks. Uh, We're ready, now, boss. Gentlemen, time to giddy up. What do you say? Nice. Let's do this. All right. Let's catch everyone up. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure most most of of the people have a sense of what's going on in terms of population health, health in regards to physical therapy being a proactive field in addressing a lot of the health issues. Right. Right now, medicine is is a system designed on a reactive model, meaning somebody gets sick then we address that and wait until they get sick again. If you look at this model, you understand that one, it's highly profitable because everybody will always get sick, but two, it's highly inefficient and ineffective. So something must be done. And at this point, we have a ton of research. We, we know what we need to do. What we don't have is an effective system of making it happen, of changing behaviors, and of, of laying it out for everyday people to make this something that they can integrate into day-to-day -day life. So, guys, Mike, let's start off with you. Why is it still such a problem, and what can we do about that? Well, I mean, I think you nailed it, right? I mean, the, the, the problem is, is that we're using a sort of an old technology for a problem that needs a new technology. I mean, you know, if you boil it all the way down, I mean, and I, I say this to folks a lot, the problem is, is we're using a system that is really well positioned for people who are acutely ill in an environment and in a scenario where people aren't necessarily, you know, just acutely ill. I mean, these things are coming on slowly and steadily getting worse, and we're not really producing any cures, if you can like tolerate that term, like we're not reversing disease, we're not curing, we're just kind of creating a soft landing for people. So, you know, I guess our goal is so that, the, you know, like dying is less bad. As opposed to saying, hey, like, can we actually keep you from this as long as possible, maintain quality of life and, and produce well-being, which is really health. So, like, you know, we're, we're kind of like just kind of softening the landing. And I, and I mean, you know, who wants that? No one. And then on top of all of that, it's ridiculously expensive. And so now we're finally realizing that we have motivation to change it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that, Gene. I mean, I, th I think when you look at it, you know, Mike and I have had some great talks historically about you know, how do we actually put this into motion and what are the barriers? And, and one, of the, one of the things Mike said to me really early on in our friendship and relationship was that, you know, the reason people aren't doing it is they're just not quite coached up on a few principles or, or, or a little bit of foundational knowledge that gets them to a point where they believe they can do it. You know, and what Mike has shown me is that as PTs especially, but I think even as, as a wider spectrum of healthcare providers, we have 95% of the knowledge that we need. And certainly we have the interactional and soft skills. And we really only need coaching up in a few areas, you know, a few things about state laws and working with companies that are nuances in this, in this environment. And really those hurdles, Gene, are, are readily gotten over. And once gotten over, what really captures me about this prevention and health promotion scene is that it's a win on so many levels, right? The employers know they have an outrageous problem. They know that their companies are not going to be solvent if they cannot figure out how to pay less for healthcare. Lord knows employees know they're not feeling well, right? They're not giving 100% at work. They're tired. They're in pain. Lord knows PTs want to be on the prevention side of healthcare, right? We've been talking about this for how long? So it's a win, win, win. If we can just get those last couple pieces in place to number one, get PTs confident in this environment. And number two, make sure that individuals that are running companies and that are on the health and safety side know that this is available and we're the right, we're the right folks to fit into that slot. Once those couple little clicks are made, Gene, this baby's on autopilot. All right, guys. So... It sounds like the we can break this down into three categories. Category one is the physical therapy mindset that we we have to change how we always thought of ourselves within the healthcare system and really what our our go to value is our UVP. I think that needs adjusting. Part two, it's the consumers, the the end user of 
of how they see us and how they see health and what is possible. And then three is employers of, of how they integrate a proactive approach to health because we know that what has been implemented before has failed miserably, which is the wellness program. The wellness program, even though ideally or, or the, the idea of it has always been fantastic, in reality, every single statistic and data point has shown them to be absolute failures fiscally and implementation-wise. So we have those three categories that we have to implement and really make them effective. Let's start with the physical therapy one. How and what do we have to do to make sure that physical therapists are comfortable and willing to move beyond this mindset that we just need referrals from physicians, that we just work in hospitals, and that we stick in this system of reactive healthcare? So I'll give it a shot. I mean, I think that the, um, you know, one of the most important things we've got to start with is, is this idea of, you know, what can we truly affect, right? Like, like what are the pieces that we actually can make a difference on and what we can actually affect? And if we really are willing, you know, as a learner, like if, if we're at that point in our maturity as a profession that we really do consider ourselves lifelong learners and that we've got sort of doctoral level mindset, then we're going to have to look in you know, deeply at, at what we can impact and what we can't, sort of what we can control and what we can't. But when we do that, we start to look at sort of the tools that we have available to us, one of which really is that idea of therapeutic alliance and relationship and, and connectedness uh, to our clientele, as well as some of the other, you know, more obvious ones like, you know, quality movement, physical activity, nutrition, and so on. Um, when we start looking at all of those things, we start to realize that those are the common threads for a lot of disease, not just mechanical pain, not even just pain, right? I mean, like there's just a lot that touches those things and those things touch a lot of things. So once we do that, I think we start to realize that we've got some latitude that, that we really are impacting. And then on top of all that, we've got to be willing to sort of keep an eye on the fact that no one else is really in a systematic way doing it. Um, and so there are a lot of people trying to do it and a lot of people kind of throwing stuff at the wall, which really does get into your wellness program piece. And, you know, we can riff on that in a bit. But but the idea is, is that since no one is doing it in a systematic way, no one is really applying an evidence-based or a science-based approach to it. Um, and, and that I think that, you know, kind of looking at that and saying, look, this is a valuable thing to work on. This is a, a really good purpose professionally. Um, this is someone's life's work. Um, as soon as we do that, I think we'll say, yeah, that, that's worth it. Like, we won't look at it down on it and say, oh, that's like, you know, yeah, that's cutesy stuff. Like, no, no, this is big, important, complex stuff. It's also the problem of our times. So we should step up. Absolutely. So, Jeff, if it's how do we make something evidence-based that's also easily uh, digestible by clinicians and they see that there is business value to it, that this is not just a side gig, that this is actually something that can be feasible and not only that very profitable and helpful yeah i think one of the greatest things about about mike's course is he's put that together and i've had a chance to observe it numerous times is that there are examples out there like you said gene a lot of the um, global or or sort of generic wellness programs have struggled to really show their efficacy but there are groups out there and there has been installations where they have put kind of that health-facing model in that that pathway in place that does reduce costs. And, and so we can reflect on a lot of that business that has happened, you know, a priori to help people see that this is not just something that we're doing out of the goodness of our hearts, right? This is a, something that we're doing to improve the health of the businesses that we work with, as well as the health of the individuals. So I think the information's out there and it's a matter of collecting that in a systematic way to be able to show to folks, you know, and as far as making it scientific, that that's what of all the things that Mike and his team at Proactivity have blown my mind with, I think that's where they're the furthest ahead is this idea of don't just do it, right, but data gather it and data track it. And so, so what they've done so well and have been able to you know, begin to show others how to do is let's go out there, let's get a systematic plan in place, and then let's test those hypotheses. So let's gather that relevant data. Let's make sure that we're all on the same page of what we're gathering and why we're gathering it, right? What pathway are we chasing down? Where are we trying to intervene and what is the expected outcome? So let's make that hypothesis and then let's track that down, look back retrospectively six months and a year later and say, look, did we make those changes? Did we save money? And was it at the improvement of the constituents overall health and thriving? Awesome. So Mike, what are some important outcome data pieces to, to track from a population health 
perspective. So if, if we're going at physical therapist, obviously it, it's a bunch, it's a group that loves techniques. It's a group that, that loves knowing, um, somewhat risk averse. If we lay it out, uh, a template of sorts, what are some of the, the critical pieces that can help get this group together um, and, and kind of uh, approaching the, the population health in terms of outcomes? Well, so I, I think it starts with a, a level of comfort in, in, with health in general, right? Like this idea that, that a person's perception of their health, sort of how they can sort of live their life and interact with society overall, um, it doesn't boil down to just one simple measure of function, let's say. And, and, and I think that's been a bit of a trip up for us, you know, that we've gotten so locked into this idea of I have to show a functional improvement because that's what essentially the insurance model tells me I've got to do to get paid. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sort of really bastardizing it, but, but that really is what happens at some level. And really looking at it and say, look, again, we've got to look at this thing through a lens of total well-being. And when we look at it through a lens of total well-being, then you start to get into questions about like, hey, how do you rate your own health? Like, how, how do you, like, what do you care about personally? And when you start to see those trends of things like, you know, those connection points where when a person rates their health poor, rates their well-being poor, their entire life suffers. Then you can start to decide which one is the cause and which one is the effect, you know, kind of the, the outcome that is health itself. So to me, I think if we go back to that definition of what really is health and, and kind of frame it in that paradigm of its total well-being, right? It's not just physical well-being. It's not just a, an absence of pain. It's I live, I'm living my best version of myself, and, and that's my own definition, but also sort of definition abroad, you know, throughout the globe. Um, I think once we do that, then we can start to look at tools and outcomes that matter, and some of them are just simply asking a person, rate your own health from very healthy to of poor health. Um, and that has been a validated way of going about it. One of the big things you kind of alluded to is this interconnection of, of billing and success in terms of what we can and can't do, which I think is, is, is going to be a big, big sticking point for a long time until this becomes more of a norm than a niche. And it, it shouldn't be, right? Because we, we see the, the good that this can do and we see the, the benefits and we see the potential of the business in this, but it's still so hard to break away from that 8 to 22 minute per unit codes, billing four to five units to be to be successful or seeing X amount of patients in acute care and productivity numbers. So, uh, Je Jeff, how do we start to break away from this mindset of billing units versus helping people? Possibly the most exciting thing, Gene, about this whole sphere has been that this next generation of, of PTs, and I, I don't necessarily mean age-wise, but just the next generation of the way that PT is thinking is that the interest in the breakaway is already happening, right? I can tell you just from our side of it, the one thing that has not been challenging has been filling Mike's course, right? I mean, the interest is there. People want to be in this space, so they want to break away. All they're really missing is those key couple of, of stepping blocks of, of strategy and how to implement, right? Kind of filling those last couple pieces of content knowledge as well as the actual mechanics of, of getting out to companies and making it happen. So the, the shift in mindset is there, and now it's really our job I think to help bridge from an actual practicality standpoint and how to take that interest and really make it applicable and, and that very much so is in place. Right. I, I'd say your job is taking it from conceptualization to reality, to implementation, to the standard. And to do that, you need numbers. You need people, right? You need the consumers to buy in. This is, this is one of the biggest issues we have in all of physical therapy is, is market awareness of people knowing what we can do, uh, not what they've been told or what they think we can do, which is very minuscule in reality to what, the, what we, we can do, we as in physical therapists. So Mike, how, how, do, we, how do we bring the people on board? Right, like like any any business, tech startup, Instagram, um, it's all about numbers. It's about the audience. It's about how many users you have, and if we have users, we win. It's simple as that. How do we get the users? Yeah, so it, it's a really really important point, right, that you're making there, and, and and that's I think probably at the root of why when we decided years and years and years ago, um, almost too many to talk about years ago, to begin to work with employers as kind of a primary channel, um, we did that for one of those reasons, because they're bulk purchasers, 
right? I mean, they, they're purchasing in, in groups of lives, not in single interactions. Um, and so because of that, you know, when, when you can sell in bulk or sell in, in blocks of lives, then you're beginning to, to make a dent much quicker. Um, in addition, because many of them, not all of them, but many of them, and an interestingly growing number, want control of that spend, right? Employers want to be self-insured at some level because they are starting to realize that the management of this is poor. They still have to pay. One way or another, they're paying, and, and the number has gotten so ridiculous that they want control of it now. So they want to manage it like a business would, and that's in general a good thing because it's going to drive efficiency. So we then have to be, you know, be able to go right up alongside of them and say, hey, guess what? It's perfect. I'm so glad you want to control this. I want you to control this. By the way, there is a better way to do it, and then let me sell it to you in blocks of lives. So that's why we went to the employer, because I, you're right, you either have to get a whole bunch of people to kind of flip all at once, which is a pretty big effort, takes a lot of bandwidth and, and quite frankly, a lot of money, you know, because you got to be able to control that narrative, control that message, um, which is hard. But I think that's why we sort of gravitated toward the employer first. And I still think there's tons and tons of fertile ground there. So how does that how does that uh, happen? So let's talk about the third pathway, the, the employer pathway. It, it's painful right now for employers, from small mom and pop shops to multi-billion-dollar corporations. Healthcare is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, expense and headache that everyone's experiencing because of one of the unknown, two because of loss of manpower when people get sick, injured, or even work while they're in in a variety of different um, health issues. Productivity suffers, and the company suffers. So how, how do you approach, how do you, how do you even breach, broach this conversation with employers? So I think you're right. I mean, that's really a, a, an important part is that the idea that, that they are starting to realize this. So years and years ago, they, they, everybody kind of had this mentality of it was just the cost of doing business. Like, ah, well, you know, healthcare is just one of those things. Um, now we're really in a position where we can begin to connect those conversations of, look, I, I know you don't think you're a healthcare business, <laughs> but you are because it is, you're probably your second largest expense after payroll, right? Like it's probably your first largest expense after payroll, your second overall or somewhere right in there. So, so, you know, I'm fond of saying that to people that look like, I know you don't think you're a healthcare company, but you are a healthcare company because you provide benefits and you pay for those benefits at some level. As soon as you start as a company realizing that that's something you have to strategically manage, just like you would strategically manage anything else, um, then you can get somewhere. Then we have to quickly go from there to, and by the way, um, you don't do that by just throwing some crap at the problem. Like that was, you know, a generation ago, that was kind of where the, you know, and I shudder with that whole idea of like wellness programs. That's where it kind of went wrong is that people said, oh, what a great opportunity. Let's just start throwing stuff at it. And, and that's okay because some of the good stuff will come to the surface and a lot of crap will die, but it does turn people off. And, and I think you, we've got a little of that backlash, but now it's coming back around and people are saying, look, if you manage this, like just like you would manage any important process, this is a strategic process. Once you do that, you're okay. And so we try to engage in those exact conversations, um, you know, and, and kind of nail people down with that idea of like, look, let's start having that conversation. And we are qualified to have that conversation. So we don't come at it like, hey, I'm a physical therapist who does physical therapy. We come at it as we are a health change consultancy. We are a, you know, a culture change consultancy. We're a business management practice. It just so happens to be that you're applying it to health. Man, and Gene, I want to follow up on that just real quick. You know, I've always loved what Mike said when he says, I don't, I don't necessarily go out there and pitch myself as a physical therapist, right? I go out there and pitch myself as a problem solver who's health-facing, who happens to be trained in physical therapy. And we have to, this is a really important question you asked, Gene, because this is one area that Mike and I are continuing to refine our approach as we're training people up in this, in, in this whole sphere is how do you start that conversation? You know, and so we've developed a lot of different ideas and ways to do it. And really, they are so much more plentiful than you think at first glance. Like, for example, I'm in the industrial health side of Colorado in Motion out here in, in Fort Collins, Colorado. And on Thursday, our industrial health team at 7 a.m., we have a roundtable with a bunch of safety individuals from fairly large companies around northern, Fort, uh, uh, northern Colorado. Right. So we're reaching out to, to health and safety divisions and saying, hey, you know, once a quarter we get together and we cover some evidence talking about how to make your business safer, how to make your employees thrive more. And Gene, you know, as, as well as anybody, part of the key here is softening up the call, right, is putting out on our social media pages that we're having these meetings. We are the people that can fix this problem. And then 
you put that out there enough and folks start talking, you solve one company's problem, they tell another company, and pretty pretty soon you have folks calling you saying, hey, I understand you can solve this huge problem that I have. I mean, Gene, you and I know once once you hit that point, I mean, it's all downhill from there in a good way. Oh, yeah. Flo- floodgates are open. I think the critical piece about uh, what you said, Jeff, is is that letting people know there is a problem for so long that no one realizes it, that there is a problem. That's why data is so critical. These companies, they, they start to look at their margins and they go, what the hell is going on? And then they start looking deeper and deeper. And then they, like Mike said, realize, you know, holy shit, we've, we've got a big issue here. Um, the problem is they don't have a solution. They know they have a problem. They don't really, they might not even know what the problem is fully. And then something comes comes along or someone comes along such as you guys uh, or anyone else that, that's willing to do this and they go, oh wow, that that's exactly our problem and it becomes clear. This, this ambiguous um, abstract thing becomes a very clear problem and solution. And uh, there, there's there's been some really interesting studies guys on motivation. And I think this this is really, really important because we, we've always been focused on internal motivation, right? Helping people motivate themselves because we know that you have to be motivated for anything to happen. That That's where drop-off happens. That's why you don't go work out. That's why um, that, that accountability isn't there. So these studies are showing that it's the environment is much more critical than internal motivation. So whatever your personal motivation is, is not as strong as being accountable to your environment. And what better environment and what better consistency than a workplace? You will be there day in and day out. You will put in minimum 40 hours because you have to. And then if you're accountable for your health as well, for this built-in motivational platform, it's a no-brainer. It's a win. And if you can educate employers on this to show them what they have and the potential of turning this into into a a a platform a a grounds for health growth who says no to that mike seriously who says no to that i mean if you can get that far in the conversation the answer is not very many people i mean that's the short answer i mean like it's not that difficult of a sale when you put it in terms that a business can understand right and so i think that there's a gap there and that's one of the things that we try to address a little bit right but but this idea being that you cannot go in like a PT or like any other healthcare professional for that matter, talking in a language that you understand, talking about the the actual disease process in detail, like, like whoa, whoa, that's not my world. I don't really like understand it. I'm a little scared of it. And honestly, like I'm not sure I should even care about it because it's kind of like a person's problem. But then when you start to realize and get them to the idea that, look, th- th- like health is a social, environmentally influenced construct, right? It's an outcome. Um, of the environment we live in, the people that we connect with, you know, the behaviors that we employ and all of those things influence each other, then they start to realize like there is maybe no better place to start. Um, so anyway, that, that's where I think that, uh, that the answer, the short answer is not very many people when you get that far. Agreed. So Jeff, when, when you have these conversations with, with the safe and health um leaders from from the various companies what do you hear some of their some of their pushback some of their real interesting pain points is is are you, are you sensing any kind of pattern from these conversations yes the pushback is always not seeing the long-term vision right the pushback is always budget you, you know and people saying can we allocate funds for that you know can we have you guys on site you know what's the roi going to be especially in an area where and this is where where, where the art of this really is going is going to show it show its uh, colors there's nuance in every company, right? You can't go in and say, this is how it's done. It goes A, B, C to D, because every company has unique needs, they have unique baseline health characteristics, and they have unique challenges upon their employees. So, so each one of those stories has to have room to kind of bend into those different areas. And so the one challenge of this is it's not real clear cut. The overall view is that's not a hard sale, right? They know they have a problem, if you're willing to come in and say you can fix it, right, the overarching view is easy. But when you actually get into the nitty gritty about the exact hows, the mechanics, and what the return's going to be, especially in the short term, right, that does require a little bit of salesmanship for you to convince, you know, the folks who are really watching every nickel, dime, and penny that, that this is where those funds should go. But Gene, the beauty man is ROI. I mean, what you're asking for from them for a financial commitment is not a, a, a gigantic sum. 
And the problem they have is gigantic. And so if you can get them to see it through that lens of here's some folks who are saying they want to do a prototype, they want to come in for a few months and try this, and we're going to look at some data, and they're asking X. And that X number relative to the size of my problem is very asymmetrical in favor of this probably being worth it. So it's really helping them get that frame of vision. Got it. So, so Mike, is it safe to say that resiliency and pers- per- persistence are critical in getting your foot in the door with these companies? Well, yeah. I mean, there, you know, there's a salesmanship effort, you know, and a component to this, right? I mean, so, so at first, you know, you're kind of getting your thoughts in a, in line in a way that you can kind of communicate it that, that makes sense to someone in their language, right? So, so we have to talk their language. Um, that that's a skill. I mean, that takes some some effort, and, and you know, like anything. I mean, if you sort of employ a growth mindset and the idea that hey, like I'm I'm not there yet, you know, kind of yet being the, the magical word, then you can attack it with, all right, like, I'm not going to crumble over the fact that that one didn't go my way. I'm going to put it on the shelf and go to the next one. And maybe I'll return to it. Maybe I won't. Um, but yeah, absolutely. That, that, that idea of I'm not a fragile person. So I'm, you know, if I'm not a fragile person, I'm not going to have a fragile approach and view of this. Like that's key. And no, doesn't mean never, right? No, no, is just the start of the conversation. To, to quote one of my favorite books, um, Never Split the Difference. Knows no the start of negotiation. Um, so how, how do you even broach that subject? How do you start? How do you approach companies? How do you find companies? Wh- where, where's the beginning? Where's the genesis of this relationship? So it's the key is the final word you said there. It's relationship, right? So anywhere that you can start a relationship with anyone you know, who has any level of influence in a company is the right place to start. So, I mean, you know, I, I can't tell you how many different oddball connections that have happened. Um, I very rarely go out and try to, quote, sell this because, you know, I mean, people are defensive when they know they're being sold to and you're kind of like dog and pony showing it. it it's, um, you know, it's hard. It's hard unless they're sort of approaching it as, hey, I'm here to buy something and I might as well buy from you. Um, whereas a personal referral is gold. Right. So so when someone sees um, the engagement that they get from their employees, uh, then they want to then pass it on to someone else like, oh, my gosh, I can't tell you what we had today. Like it blew my mind. Okay, good. Like pass it on. Um, And that's happened between husbands and wives and and friends and colleagues and professions and across, honestly, competitors even. I mean, I've had I've had more business refer to business over the years. And so what we always try to get people to think about is. Look, it, it almost like don't think of it as a sale is dollars and cents in your pocket. A sale is showing that what you can do is a solution. And you might have to start for free. You know, you might have to get out there and, and roll up your sleeves a little bit. And you might have to ask for somebody to say, hey, like, if I do this for you and your small little company of five people and I can make a difference, are you willing to be a referral source for me and or, you know, give me a testimonial? Like that might be worth your time, even though it's not putting actual dollars in your pocket yet. Again, the key word being yet. How dare you say we do something for free? Oh, no, How no, not, dare not free, you? Not free. No, no, not to be, just not paid in dollars. Totally different. There you go. I like that. I like that. Uh, delayed gratification, let's call it that. It's fair. Laying, planting the seeds of growth. Exactly. Exactly. Relationship building. Relationship building. It's all about relationships. Right, Jeff? It's all about relationships, man. And you think about the sequela of that, Gene. You think about when when you really get into a group. So you know we we say quote unquote free, right? So you're gonna you're gonna give them a sample of what you have to offer for a couple of months. But like Mike Keenly points out, it's the furthest thing from free. There's a tremendous amount of things. First of all, you're learning, right? You're gaining a, a large array of skill sets. In addition, you're creating relationships with a huge amount of people that are in your community doing a variety of things, including probably using your formal PT services. You know, back at your home base. I mean, the, the, just the deeper that you get. With the well-meaning mission, the more influence in a positive way you have. And that's a huge return on investment. Well, that's the key there, Jeff. The, the one word that Mike is describing is investment. But on a deeper level, uh, let, let's talk a little psychology here, guys. On a deeper level, it, it's called the reciprocity principle, right? You do something for somebody, then they feel like they owe you. Uh, so there, there's a lot of depth to doing something for somebody. But you need to have, like Mike said, that growth mindset. This is not a scarcity mindset that, oh, my God, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to get paid right now. Therefore, it's free. Therefore, I'm wasting my time, my money, blah, 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 blah. It's not worth it for me. That's incredibly short-sighted. And unfortunately, that's highly, highly uh, 
pervasive in, in our profession, in healthcare in, in general, is, is this short-sighted and lack of vision. How can we fix that? How can we address that? How, how do you teach somebody to have vision? That, you know, that's that's, that's Gene, tough. I, I really want to touch on what you said there because, first of all, you're a good example of it, right? You guys have a multidisciplinary clinic that you, that, that you guys are running. And what I'm loving is that of every area that I've ever encountered in PT, there is no excuse for having a scarcity mindset in prevention and health promotion. The space is so big. The problem is almost unsolvable even if everybody was to be employed working on it. There is just so much meat on the bones. And what I'm loving seeing in this space is that people realize that their unique practice acts for their profession, whether they're a nutritionist or whether they're a PT or a DC or an MD, everybody realizes that if we're really going to have a dent, I mean, we're going to actually do something where we look back and say, man, we really did something that is going to happen together. We're going to have to leverage not only each other's expertise, but each other's different practice acts and make sure that we can really solve the entire problem at every level of the issue. And what I'm seeing so far, and I think that that Mike, I'll, I'll let Mike speak to this as well, that we are really seeing people sort of open up their arms and say, look, we need to get after people before they go through the medical industrialized complex and get into a spot where we've been trying to pick them up once they're beat down for far too long. And whoever we can work with to make that happen, that's the mission that I really went into this job to do. So I'm seeing this this really open feel of people saying, hey, what can you do and what can you do and how can you help? And all of a sudden we're saying, let's stop, let's stop looking at where you're competing with me and let's start looking at where you can help me to solve maybe the biggest problem facing the country. I like it. What do you think, Mike? It's huge. I mean, it, it's huge and it's going to take quite a bit of growth for all of us, right? I mean, it's not how it's not where we came from, right? We, we come from a very much an inward looking, um, you know, sort of place and, and, and we and all professions do that. And, and I think that that's one thing. And I, I don't know what the main driver is of it. But I, I agree with Jeff. I mean, it, it's coming along. You know, we're willing to put ourselves out there a little bit, be a little vulnerable, get outside of our own space and, and a little bit out of our comfort zone, because the purpose is so important, because the mission is so critical. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, that's how people do big things, right? So if we started this with the idea of, hey, we're really talking about changing the world. I mean, People don't change the world by being timid. People change the world by, you know, getting out there, taking some calculated risks, putting themselves out there a little bit, being vulnerable. And that is so authentic that it, you know, pulls in other people. And once that happens, now you've got a little group of people. You're creating that that little bit of, uh, of a tribe who's now sort of locked in and locked together. And, I mean, look, that's a beautiful thing because that's that's how real stuff gets done. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it's con- continual understanding of the power of knowledge, information and trust. And I, I feel like, unfortunately, the people that trust physical therapists the least and believe in physical therapists are physical therapists. I, I have yet to meet a person that did not respect the potential of of what I can offer them at the very least. Um no one, no one has, has ever said to me when asked me, like, what do you do? I'm a physical therapist. Oh, really? You're a physical therapist? I'm sorry to hear that. Like, nobody's ever said anything aside from, oh, wow, that's really cool. Hey, by the way, I hurt my back. What do you think? You know, it, it's just people know that we can do something and that we know something. They might not fully know what. I don't, have you guys ever seen one of my favorite movies of all time? is uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Have you ever seen that movie? No. No. So it's, uh, first of all, get your shit together, both of you. <laughs> Second of all, so th- it's by Sergio Leone, uh, the guy that wrote, that made uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly with Clint Eastwood. Sure. Is that? Sure. Yeah. Get your man card back. Um, okay, so it's it's incredible movie. It's It, it tells a story um, about kind of a, a guy that is helping a, a woman but as the story unfolds there's this flashback piece of but that's it's it's kind of like faded and and blurred and as the story unfolds the this flashback memory of why he's doing what he's doing gets clearer and clearer until the final showdown at the end where it, it all makes sense i feel like we're kind of living through that right now as a profession we we have this this blurriness that as we keep moving forward, gets less blurry and less blurry. 
but we're still somewhere in the middle there. And uh, to me, that 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 screams of opportunity, and also screams that you two really need to go watch this movie. It's on my list. Once more time in the West. Fantastic movie. All right, so let's close this out. This is not something new for you, Mike. Um, Jeff, you've obviously been living through this as well. What is the culmination? What are you doing about this to, to bring this to the masses now, to, to educate the profession, to make this a reality? So, I mean, I, I thank you. It's very kind for you to tee that up. I mean, the, the, you know, what we're trying to do is build a, a space and a platform. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, that's what we need. We need a place where everybody can kind of get together, really connect and, and, and have, you know, what I'm getting fond of calling idea labs, you know, like, go ahead, pursue that idea, you know, kind of let's get that waviness, that haze off our profession. Let's explore things, let's test things, you know, and, and then let's track it um, in, a, in a very entrepreneurial way. Like we've done a great job, I think, as a profession in many ways, you know, chasing the research. And, and that's awesome because a clinical research model certainly has given us, I think, some trust in, in the marketplace. And to your point, right, like we are a fairly high trust group. Um, but what's hurt us is that we haven't taken as much of an entrepreneurial model. And so we haven't gone out and gotten that big swath of people, as you described at the very early on. So I think that that's what we're trying to build is something that allows that and, and, you know, kind of creating this tent that people can get under and say, look, I want to explore this topic. I want to learn. I want to interact with other people who are like this, who have a like mind. And I want to go, you know, I want to do, I don't really want to just keep talking about it. Like, let's go, let's fix it or let's not, but let's make a decision and go. Nice. And, and Jeff, so what, what's ICE, the Institute of Clinical Excellence, your company, what, what are you doing to, to make this something that's easily digestible and that people can actually get uh, information and, and do instead of just constantly dwindling their thumbs? Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Gene. The first thing I'll say is that we're doing the smaller part. You know, when I, when I talked to Mike about this a year and a half ago, or gosh, even more than that now, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, him saying that, you know, Jeff, there's more opportunity than my team can handle. And I was just so blown away by that, you know, that, that this chance to be on the prevention health promotion side was actually ripe with opportunity. I said, well, Mike, why isn't everybody knocking at your door to do this? And he said, well, PTs just don't quite feel prepared. They feel like they're not sure what they can do in their practice act and state laws. And I thought, well, that's not acceptable. And I guess that, that gene is where my ice hat went on. And I think what I've really loved doing throughout my career with this company is taking areas that are clearly a win and helping to connect those dots. I think you and I have both so enjoyed that with things like masterminds, you're getting people coaching them up and then helping to plug them into where they fit. And this was a great example. Like Mike and I sat and talked and I said, well, dude, could you build out like, you know, an eight or 12 week course and cover these components that you think PTs feel as though they aren't quite sharp enough on to pull the trigger. And Mike was like, well, yeah, that's my wheelhouse, man. I've been doing this for 20 years. Like, I could totally write that out. And that's what we did. And I guess, Gene, if you're asking the role that we played, it's really been just making this online 12-week course available that takes a PT from somebody who wants to be in the prevention health promotion space and actually builds throughout that, that three-month curriculum, covers all those key points so that when they're done, not only do they know what they can and can't do in that space, they know how to be assertive in that space and they have built a complete evidence-based pitch to be able to go to employers and say, look, you know you have a problem, but let me explain to you exactly what it is and what our solution can be. And so that's the actionable piece, Gene. Everybody who finishes that program literally has their pitch done and has pitched it to Mike and his team. I just wanna say one more thing though. I mean, that really is the crowning jewel of the certification program. But what Mike and his team have done has went way beyond where I thought we were going to go and I think has really made it a possible national and international movement. And that is the development of the APHPT.org side. So the nonprofit coalition of all of this, Gene, is where we're basically gathering everybody who wants to enter this space on a population health level, right, and actually try to affect large populations or just the lifestyle PT level that wants to engage with individuals in their clinic looking at more of these baseline health characteristics. And they've actually created a group now that you can join 
right, where they are dumping resources into that group, doing webinars, doing emails, sharing resources, sharing intake forms on how do you switch from being a traditional PT provider to being somebody who solves health crisis problems. And, and that, it, it, as we look back, it's going to be what Mike and the team have done on the APHPT.org side. That is going to be what we're going to look back and say that was the absolute game changer. I'm still letting all of that settle in. That's that's exciting. Also, you need to say those letters a bit slower because every single time, every single time I've talked to anybody about this, I, I'm pretty sure I've said those those letters wrong every single fucking time. So just to make it real clear, it's www.aphpt.org. And you can go right on there and you can apply for a professional membership. I mean, Gene, it's $12.50 a month and we are packing that thing with webinars, emails, resources, connections, everything that you're going to need to get your butt out there and get into this space. $1,250? $1,250 a month? $12.50 a month, my man. Wait, wait, wait. It's actually cheaper. It's cheaper. It's 10 10 bucks a month. Oh, is that all it is? Yeah, it's a hundred bucks a year. It's like eight. It's eight bucks if you pay the whole thing, or ten bucks if you pay it monthly. I'm trying to keep it super accessible. And, and Gene, I know you'll appreciate this, right? Not everybody sort of likes this stuff, but you know, this is my chance to geek out for thirty seconds. The, the goal of this is to create an open source type approach, right? I mean, like, like if we can look at this health promotion space you know, and, and say it's huge, right? You can look at one end of the spectrum and say, this is Linux, right? Like this is open source, show up, bring your goods, join the conversation. It's a very low ticket cost to entry, hundred bucks a year. Then you could say, all right, there, then there's like some sort of middle ground, which is much more like a licensing model. That's your, you know, you get into Microsoft and eventually you get into Apple, which is, I want a closed loop system. But the idea is this is Linux. This is an open ground, man, open source, show up, bring your, your, your passion and help solve the problem. I'm so glad you saved that towards the end because we would have lost everybody with that analogy. It would have been like, what is he talking about? But it, it, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, it, it, it makes a ton of sense. And, and I think this it, it's a good barrier to entry for the right mindset, right? It's not not essentially the cost. The, you know, 10 bucks a month, everyone will always find a reason to say no. And we don't want those people. We don't want people that will find a reason to say no. We, we want people to say, fuck it, it it's time. It, it's time, I'll, I'll throw in my 10 bucks, but more than that, I'm willing to join a community of people pushing the envelope and willing to make mistakes, willing to fail, and willing to show how we failed in order for us to succeed. That's open source. That's, that's the benefit of open source. And from that open source will come every other successful business. And, and if you if you study any kind of startup, if, if you want to if you if you want to dig into this, look at how PayPal started and everyone that came from PayPal um, and, and other companies they've started. Look at history and the evolution of any business to where they start to where they are. And the question you need to ask yourself after that is, do you want to be looking and reading about history or do you want to be part of it? And I think that's ultimately where it comes down to. That's awesome. Yeah. Should we talk about the fantastic fail? Yes, go ahead. Because that totally is part yeah. of it, right? So, so yeah. you know, we had our last meeting. That was, we said, like, what's some of the content we should share? And somebody brought up, and Jeff, it might have been you, who said, like, you know, I really think we do have to talk about those failures, right? Like, like we have to bring that stuff up. We have to get comfortable in that space. So I put myself out there. It didn't go like it was supposed to. And, you know, and, and I learned. And now I'm growing, right? That's growth. So, so yeah, like, actually, once, uh, once a quarter, we're going to feature a fantastic failure for that yeah, exact think- reason. I think those kudos go to Mandy Johnson. I think Mandy might have brought that up, Mandy Johnson. That was phenomenal because, I mean, that's it, man. I think, too, that that really speaks to the culture we're creating on the APHPT side. You know, it's a very large and growing group of people who aren't afraid to show their nicks and bruises because, again, the mission's more important than their ego. Right. They, they know if they can share that, the next person won't do it. If the next person doesn't do it, maybe they do something right and they get into a spot where they can create some change. And, and that's just the ongoing evolution and culture of that APHPT.org side. So beyond exciting to play a role. Awesome. And you, you alluded to this earlier, Mike. You've talked about this is vulnerability. Right? To, to show vulnerability is to show confidence. And this is, this is something that's been extensively talked about. Brene Brown is, is one of the biggest names that talks about vulnerability, but it, it just doesn't happen. Um, case in point, every single entrepreneur conversation you've had when you meet somebody or somebody you know, when you ask them, hey, how's it going? The first question you always ask is, hey, how's your business going? First answer you always get, everything's good. 
Yeah, it's great. It's great. Moving along. Yeah, yeah going good. Doing great. Doing great. Trying to control, trying to control the growth, you know. Yeah, <laughs> growing. We're growing. Everything's fantastic. Yeah. While both of you are probably likely just suffering in some way because even the, even the most successful entrepreneurs are suffering most of the time. So if you talk about that, and I know like nobody wants to be a downer in the conversation, like I, I get societal norms and you don't want to just bring people down, but we're all in the same boat. Everybody's going through it regardless where you are. Uh, chances are you're going through a hard time at any one point. Fucking talk about it. Yeah, man. I mean, listen, if you're, if you're having that conversation, the answer is always has to be, listen, it could always be better. It could always be worse. That is the life of the entrepreneur, right? I can think of worse things than I've got going on today because I have the chance to actually try to solve a problem in the marketplace. But geez, man, it could be better. You know, I'm still waiting for that suitcase full of money to fall out of the sky. What would you do with yourself? Can you imagine like if you just got like an absolute windfall, if you won the lottery, like what would you do with your life? I, I really have thought about this, Mike and Jeff. I really don't think I would be happy. I, I'd be able to watch that movie you were talking about. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> for fuck's sake, Jeff. It's, it's a movie from the 60s that you could buy at Walmart for four ninety nine. It's the time, Gene. It's the time. There's always time, like when on the airplane, at least. Excuses. Can you hear this, Mike? Fucking excuses out of this guy. I'm just going with I never even knew that movie existed. But now that I do, Jesus. it's on my list. Jesus. All right. So um, to, to, to kind of cut off the bleeding a little bit here, um, check out APHPT. Did I say that right? You did. Yep. Fucking right. Whew, I feel good about myself. Success. Success. Um, so check that out. Obviously, check out ICE, uh, Institute of Clinical Excellence. Uh, Mike and Jeff are, are easily found via the socials, um, just in case there's somebody living on, under a rock. Mike, Jeff, Twitter handles, best way to get a hold of you guys in, in, in any, any way. Yeah, totally. Twitter is great. I love it. Um, at Mike Eisenhart. Um, and uh, email's fine, too, if you're still on that channel, Mike.Eisenhart at aphpt.org. Yeah, it's uh, Jeff at Jeff Moore DPT on Twitter. Um, probably my preferred route of communication, but uh, certainly email and Facebook. Email is Jeff Moore DPT at gmail.com. And uh, Facebook's fine. I'm always happy to engage with folks uh, via the Facebook or Instagram channels too. So, so out there wherever you can find me. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for the time. It's always a pleasure. I know we talk about this stuff a lot. And, and uh, I really hope that the right people catch on and, and this sparks a fire in them. And um, the movement continues because the potential is limitless. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for the platform, G, and thanks for all the ongoing great work from Therapy Insiders at all. Good stuff, man. Appreciate it, brother. Right back at you.